Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor, and welcome to Sleep Success, the health and wellness podcast that's gonna help you rest easier so you can live better. On this episode, have you ever wondered how a body responds to life in outer space? Well, today, you're going to find out. You're going to hear from the astronaut who's gone on more spacewalks than anyone else in history, Michael Lopez Alegria, and he'll share with us what it's like to sleep in space and what NASA has learned about how to travel to the outer limits can help us. But first, let's get to the wake-up call. This is the part of the show where I talk about things that are in the news that you might find interesting that have something to do with sleep. Some news in the sleep product and technology space, Bedmaker Sleep Number has launched a new consumer-based research project aimed at identifying underlying physiological warning signs of health issues. The product will involve the users using its Sleep IQ technology beds who opted to be part of this research. So this is a great use of tech. That way we can learn out in the field what's going on. You know, many times when we do research studies, we oftentimes see it in a different kind of environment, not a home environment. So I think it's pretty progressive that Select Comfort has said, hey, let's use our technology to maybe collect a little bit of data. So hopefully we can all learn a little bit more. To be fair, though, there's lots of ways to collect data on yourself if you're interested in doing so. Uh, as many of you know, I wear an Aura ring. Uh, there are also other trackers out there. So if you're looking for tracking, there are many different options. But this is really interesting that they're now using their tracker technology for the greater good. In another story, let's see. Here, oh, this is fascinating. Archaeologists working at a site known as the Border Cafe in South Africa have found evidence that people have been using a grass bedding to create some sort of a comfortable area for sleeping and working on at least 200,000 years ago. Yes, folks, we've been wanting, we've been seeking comfort for quite a while. These beds were discovered consisting of grass um, from the broad leaf uh, kind of, I don't know, what's it called? A Pentecoste. I'm not sure I'm even saying that right. Were placed near the back of the cave on ash layers. The layers of ash were used to protect the people against crawling insects while sleeping. You know, this makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, if you're going to be sleeping in a cave, you don't want any creepy crawlies all over you uh, in the middle of the night. I don't, uh, I don't think that that's particularly surprising to me, although it would be kind of cool to see if that technology uh, would be useful in one of those like reality TV shows like Alone or uh, Survivor or one of those things. I wonder what those guys use to sleep on. I, I, maybe they make their own grass beds. Be kind of interesting. Uh, let's see. And the final one is, oh, well, you know, everyone knows what Netflix is, but have you ever heard of Restflix? So, yep, it's a streaming service offering more than 20 live channels, all designed to help you fall asleep faster and enjoy a more restful night. Uh, subscription are on sale for as low as $29.99 for 12 months. Uh, let me tell you something. I saw this story and I called that guy up and I said, I love this idea. It's great. You know, I'm like the only sleep doctor in the universe that's been telling people that it's okay to fall asleep with the television on. But this this Restflix has done something a little bit different. What they've done is they have added visual to things like binaural beats, things that have got a little bit of science behind them, a little bit of soothing, a little bit of relaxation behind them. So I'd keep my eye on Restflix. Um, I think these guys are doing something pretty cool and pretty special. And now it's time for your sleep story with astronaut Michael Alegria. Hey, everybody. My guest today is literally out of this world. 
He's an astronaut who's completed four NASA space flights, one on board the International Space Station and three shuttle flights. He also holds the NASA record for the most spacewalks, 10 that totaled 67 hours. Think of that. He spent almost a week and a half walking around in space. That's amazing. His longest space flight is 215 days, and that's the longest, that's the third longest in all of history. This year, he was selected to be inducted into the United States Astronaut Hall of Fame. He's retired now, and he spends his time consulting with many of the space companies out there. Captain Michael Lopez Alegria, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you. If you call me Captain, I'll call you Doctor. How's that? All right. Well, then we're just going to skip that and we'll start to go for Michael and Michael because that's going to make it a lot easier for us. Works for me. Perfect. The show is called Sleep Success. And what I try to do is have a diverse group of guests who can talk about their stories, maybe finding new ways to help people live better, healthier lives. So I'm very excited to talk to you about your experiences. So I'm going to just barrel right in and ask you, can you enlighten the audience as to how do astronauts approach sleep? Well, we uh, never seem to get enough of it. It's a lot like uh, we are on Earth. And it depends on what part of the job you're in. When we're not training or flying for a space mission, uh, we have a ground job. And generally, you know, it's it's at home, but often it involves some travel. So we have the occasional jet lag issues, but that's nothing new to your audience, I'm sure. Right. In space, uh, we have quite a a different regime, which we can talk about if you'd like. but. In general, we have to pick a time zone because we're going through them pretty quickly. Right. We happen to use, for the most part, Greenwich Mean Time. And we wake up at 6 a.m. GMT and we go to bed at about 11 p.m. And we do that, you know, Monday through Sunday, so seven days a week. Um, Sometimes we have operations that uh, have to occur in the middle of what would be our night. And we, we do what we call sleep shifting. Interestingly, we have a couple of approaches to that. Um, Our partners on the space station, the Russians, like to do what they call slam shifting. Oh, what's that? So they keep their normal, let's say, for example, we have to wake up six hours earlier than we normally would on a a day of a given operation. Mm -hmm. Well, they'll have the same day right up until the day before, and then they'll just wake up six hours earlier and sort of hate it for a while. (laughs) And then um, take a nap maybe in the afternoon and then go right back. Uh, The NASA method uh, prefers to shift about one hour per day. So we would start six days early and every day we'd get up an hour earlier and go to bed an hour earlier. So I've done both. And to be honest with you, the Russian method is not all that bad provided, you know, it's not a huge shift. If it's 10 or 11 hours, of course, it gets pretty problematic. But anywhere from three to six hours is not so bad. Wow, that's fascinating. So there's at least two different methods that people could, you know, understand about kind of what's going on in space. I want to go backwards just for a second. I know that you talked about the GMT. I think a lot of our audience members may or may not know what GMT is. Would you mind describing that just a little bit? Sure. That's actually not the most appropriate acronym. GMT stands for Greenwich Mean Time, and it's based on the Greenwich Meridian. It's called UTC now, I think, uh, Universal Time. So it's basically the time in the UK when they're not on David Daylight Savings Time. Got it. Okay. And so everybody up, up in the space station uh, has that as their clock, and that's the clock that they kind of work off of? That's correct, because we go around the Earth 16 times in a 24-hour period, so you can't very well use the sun rise or sunset. <laughs> Wait a second. Hold on. You go around the sun 16 times in a 24-hour period? 
Around the earth, yes. Around the earth. Okay, not around the sun. Got it. So around the earth. Wow, that's incredible. 16, how fast is the space station going? 17,500 miles an hour. Holy smokes. Wow. So do you, okay, this is a, just an, a curiosity question. Can you feel that? Or is it because of the, z, the zero gravity, you don't really feel that? Or is there zero gravity on the space station? Or is that just in the movies? Yeah, the, those are great questions. There is uh, <laughs> apparent zero gravity, um, but the, the lack of gravity is caused by the speed, not by the altitude. So if you get far enough away from a planet, you don't feel its gravity anymore. But we're only at about 250 miles. So you definitely, if you weren't going fast, you would fall down like a safe to the earth. Wow. But if you can imagine, um, if you took a cannon on the top of a very high mountain and you shot a cannonball, it goes a certain distance and it falls to earth. If you put more gunpowder in there and the exit velocity were higher, it would go farther and eventually come down to earth. Well, if you shot it fast enough, it would go all the way around the earth. And if it weren't for uh, air resistance to slow it down, it would stay in orbit indefinitely. And so the reason that we don't feel the speed is not because there isn't gravity, but because there's an atmosphere. We're in a vacuum. So if you stuck your hand out the window, First of all, you'd suffocate because there's no air, but you wouldn't feel any resistance like you do when you're driving down the street with, uh, with the window open. Fascinating. That is fascinating. So you must have a pretty sophisticated lighting system up there, right? Because do you create your own like sunrise and sunset? How does that part work? Well, we actually do have some sophisticated LED lighting up there that can be uh, tuned. As I'm sure you're aware, there are different yep. colors that are more appropriate for morning or evening. And so uh, it can be managed from the ground or set locally on board. If you want this sort of gradual wake up in the morning, you, you can have it be a certain way. And then as you get toward the end of the day, it can go more from the blue to the red. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of the day, you know, you're just in normal, the whole spectrum of light. Got it. Is there a difference between sleeping? Do, well, let me ask you the question a different way. Did you have you ever had to sleep on a shuttle? And is there a difference sleeping on a shuttle versus at the space station? Or do you take the shuttle to the space station and that happens fairly quickly? No, I spent uh, I had three shuttle missions or about two weeks each. So I spent oh, wow. several nights uh, on board. And really, the only difference is that on the sleep on the space station, we have what we call sleep station, which is kind of like our little telephone booth sized home <laughs> and sleeping on the space shuttle is more like camping where you have to roll your sleeping bag up every morning and clean up your space. But in the sleep uh, on the sleep station, you can of course leave it there. Now we don't the sleeping bag doesn't have to be on the floor. In fact, it's rarely on the floor. Uh, it can be on the ceiling. It could be on the wall. <laughs> again, in the absence of gravity, it doesn't really matter, which there is no up and there is no down. Do you guys have to like Velcro yourselves to the side of the hull or anything? Or do you just kind of get in the bag and float all around? Well, that's, that's the point of the sleeping bag is that it's tied down and it keeps ah. from floating around. But it's funny you should mention that because one of the things that you really miss is that sensation of lying down, which is so gratifying. And so some people do actually Velcro themselves to the wall or bungee themselves to get that pressure that holds them against uh, something firm. Okay, I've got a weird question. Do you need a pillow in space? For the same reason some people do. They, uh, <laughs> they actually Velcro a pillow to their heads so they can feel the sensation of the weight of their head on, on, the, on the back of their head. So when you're moving that quickly, um, you've basically created an environment there. 
And so how, what, what things happen to your body? Like what, what would happen physically to you while you're in space and in terms of your sleep, do you, do you find that it, it, you, you know, move in terms of your circadian rhythm? Does that have a tendency to move in different places? Do you find you have different kinds of dreams? I'm very curious as to what is sleep like actually in outer space. Well, what I found was that I was uh, generally pretty tired by the end of the day. And so I, I didn't have any trouble falling asleep. But whereas on Earth, if you wake up in the middle of the night, you might just roll over. There is no rolling over, right? And so I kind of missed that sensation. So it takes a little while to get used to it. Um, the sleep shifting that I described earlier is really can be really tricky. And so we have you know different... I guess, degrees of medication that we can use all the way from a short acting sleeper to, you know, an Ambien or a Zolpidem to, uh, to put us to sleep for a little more longer period. Have you ever taken a nap while on a spacewalk? Spacewalks are pretty intense. Um, you know, usually six and a half to seven hours outside. And there's a lot of prep that goes into it when you're getting suited up and purging the, the nitrogen out of the suit. And it, it, there's just a lot to do. So it ends up being a very long day, but there's definitely no time for nap. So you're up there, you, you adapt. How long does it take you to adapt to, to living you know, on the space station or, or once you get into the shuttle kind of situation where you start to feel normal again? You know, very, very qualitatively, I'd say it's about a month. Um, I, you know, I've only been in space a month or longer once, and that's my recollection. You definitely get more and more used to it as time goes on, but I think the curve starts to flatten out after about a month. Do you think that there are like, I know we talk about jet lag, is there space lag you think? And, and is that kind of the same thing? Yeah, I, I think it's the same thing. Our jet lag is when we're doing that sleep shifting because effectively it's the same thing, right? Gotcha. You're changing time zones and we don't have to travel. Well, I guess we're traveling the whole time, but it's the same exact effect. And, and so some of the same techniques are good for sleep shifting as they are for, uh, for jet lag on the ground, avoiding light certain times of day, you know, seeing bright light other times of day, et cetera. Now, I know you're also involved um, with uh, an app that helps people with jet lag right? Time shifter. That's the place where you and I uh, first became friendly. Um, and you've helped develop that algorithm and actually use that. So when you were coming back down to earth, tell us about that experience and sort of what, what, what have you know, what did you notice changed about your sleep um, coming back down to earth? So I don't really know if it's physiological or psychological, but man, the first day when you get back to Earth, you are exhausted. Uh, I know that in <laughs> most cases, and particularly on my station flight where we came home in the Russian Soyuz capsule, it's a really long day. And so I was just flat out beat. And I think the that plus the newly found sensation of gravity makes you really just <laughs> want to take a, a big nap. Would you say that there are any lessons that you've learned sleeping in space that have helped you sleep here on the on our terrestrial uh, marble that we're wandering around this universe on? You know, not so much from the space experience, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, travel involved with training. When I was training for the space station mission, I was spending every other month uh, between Houston and Moscow. Wow. And that's a long trip with a lot of time zones. And so for the first couple of days in each place, of course, you know, you're suffering from jet lag. And some of the techniques that are incorporated into the Time Shifter app are the very ones that were being developed at that time. Again, the ideas of not seeing light at certain times, you know, wearing sunglasses or exposing yourself to bright light, taking a nap, having caffeine, you know, taking a melatonin at the right time, et cetera. 
the night before you leave, do you get insomnia? I uh, I would. I think I would. A bit of that, yeah, <laughs> a little sleeper at the right time is uh, definitely a good medication at that moment. Are your dreams any different when you're in space or do you dream about space type things like, you know, experiences that you had up there? Do, or do you even remember your dreams? Up there? Yeah, no, you definitely do. I, I think like you might expect when you're in space, a lot of your dreams are in microgravity because that's kind of where you are at that moment. And I came mm. back, I remember those sort of fading away. I would have one, you know, have them less frequently. And now I don't, I don't dream of being in zero G hardly ever, although once in a while. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. So uh, before and after, have you ever had difficulty uh, with sleep yourself? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, same things affect me as a lot of people, what's going on in your life, you know, some noise or light or something that you can't control. Again, traveling, I travel a lot for my current work. So um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, what, what has really um, been clear to me is that sleep is extraordinarily important for your health and and sort of paying attention to how to maximize uh, the quality of your sleep is important you know i was thinking you know and of course i obviously don't have any experience um in this other than the the entertainment world and the movie world about what it's like but you know it, it feels like when you've got this view right of this of the earth and you're so far away from it it feels like it's one of those peaceful sort of relaxing kind of times is did you find yourself really kind of you know kind of honing in and being in that sort of meditative state or, or was it just you're busy it's a job you're up there working type of thing you know on shuttle flights it's much more the latter but on a space station flight where you know we sort of live we work monday through friday and half a day saturday so it's much more like a terrestrial life you do have time to kind of stick out stick your nose out the window and and look and think and you're right, it is an extraordinarily um, unique site, very, um, I, I'd say, mind-changing in a way. You begin to look at the Earth and the people on it with a little bit different lens because of the unique perspective. And there's been um, uh, some literature written about something that they call the overview effect, where people feel like a closer connectedness to each other and to the planet and things that are very local, you know, conflicts and arguments and things like that begin to seem kind of silly in a way. And we start to wonder, well, why can't we just sort of get along better? And I think that that is a, a very valuable perspective, and which is why I really would like to see more and more people be able to have that experience. And enough of them do, and, and the world would be a better place. What an incredible insight that is. Do you do you ever try to remember those times, like that view in your head to help give you that level of peace? I know for me, when I'm having, when I'm really stressed out, I have a breathing technique that I like to do. And I, I kind of close my eyes and I think about a place that helps me kind of chill out and calm down. Is, is that something that you do? Is that, is that kind of the vision that you have? I've never really practiced that. Um, I can tell you that without having practiced it, the entire experience of having flown in space is almost like a parallel universe. I, it's really hard for me to reach out and touch it and, and remember that I was there. Uh, it's almost like it's somebody else's life or, or a different life of my own. Before you started doing all this in the training phase, which sounds like it was pretty intense, I'm guessing that NASA probably had some pretty significant guidelines. I think at one point they had a fatigue countermeasure um, program. What did they teach you about, about sleep during the training period? 
same thing again, light control and, um, you know, trying to minimize the light and the noise, et cetera. Uh, we actually had some cognitive tests that we could take on space station. If we felt like we didn't get a good night's sleep and we maybe had something really important to do that day, you could take a quick test to see, and that could be affected by a lot of things other than sleep, but sleep would certainly, you know, could impair your cognitive ability. So like almost like a reaction time test or a cognitive te- quick cognitive test to make sure that you're you're not a little too sleep deprived to then perform some crazy experiment or something exactly. like that. Exactly. So you know it's like simple math questions and memorization and things that were not it wasn't so much physiological it was more uh, mental acuity. Okay, that makes intuitive sense to me. Absolutely. Um so that's interesting. So now when you're back down on earth and you have sleep-related issues. Do you have like a routine that you do before bed? And did you have a routine up there? And is it the same? <laughs> Definitely not the same. <laughs> I figured not. <laughs> sure, I, I do have a routine that, you know, like everybody, before I go to bed, I do the same sort of steps in a row. And then when I wake up, it's the, you know, the opposite. And I think routine is important, uh, particularly now in the in the, during the pandemic, when folks are you know struggling with a different kind of lifestyle, having something that is familiar to you is a is a comfort for your physiological self. I believe. I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. I know my morning routine is one where I have to do a few specific things in order to kind of wake up in the morning. I have to I do a, a couple of deep breaths. Um, I drink a bottle of water. I actually get some sunlight. Go outside, you know, and get a little bright light. Um, what kind of things do you do in the morning to wake up? I'm sure our audience would be curious to know. Well, top of the list is I make myself a nice cappuccino <laughs> with a very uh, authentic Italian semi-automatic coffee machine. Oh, that sounds awesome. And uh, I generally have a routine where I'll um, take that coffee and I'll sort of slowly get my day going. I've always been a, a night person. And, and I think you would know that there are different. Uh, I do. Yeah. And so mornings are tough for me and have been my whole life. But I do think that at some point, even if you have no obligations, uh, it's, it's good to get showered, get cleaned up, get dressed, you know, pretend like you're going to work, even if you're really not doing it, because otherwise, you know, you can end up in the same sweatshirt with meatloaf stains. Nobody likes that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I love, I like the idea of sort of what you do and, and how you do it. It's, you know, a lot of people think about those things. Um, it, it, would you say that if there's one thing that you have to travel with that helps you sleep, what, what would that thing be? Is it an eye mask? Is it earplugs? Is it a, a picture of a loved one? What's the one thing that it, absolutely positively you kind of have to have it around for sleep? Yeah. The two things for me are eye mask and earplugs on the airplane. I generally don't use them if I'm in a hotel, but when I'm on the plane, I, I can't. it's tough to do it without them. How about in space? It's got to be pretty quiet in space, right? Uh, no, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of um, rotating machinery, you know, fans and pumps and things <laughs> like that. So same, eye mask and earplugs every night. There you go. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, now, I know back down terrestrially, it's very different sleep environment than it was up there. Um, in terms of your sleep environment now, anything else that's disruptive to you, kids, animals, um, I know light and sound are the things that you have a tendency to be able to block out with your eye mask and your earplugs. Anything else that's sort of disruptive or are you a pretty solid sleeper? I'd say I'm lucky in that I'm a pretty solid sleeper. You know, I, I live alone and I don't have, uh, so I don't have pets or, or kids or anything like that. And uh, my neighbors are quiet. So, uh, 
the birds often wake me up in the morning, which is not a bad thing. Yeah, I would say that's not a bad thing either. I think it's interesting too that you're a, a night owl, what I would call a wolf um, from my Power of When book. So here's an interesting question. Do they look at the chronotypes of different astronauts? Because being a night owl, maybe that has some sort of a special affinity or appeal. You know, that sounds like it would be a, an interesting criterion to investigate. But the fact is that it's there's so it's such an over-constrained problem with all these different variables that it, we don't get to that level. Well, this has been really fascinating. I am, I know that everybody in the audience is kind of like ears glued to the earbuds listening on board. I've got a couple of what I call rapid fire questions that I'd love to throw your way if you don't All mind. All right, sounds fun. Question number one, which side of the bed do you like to sleep on, left, right, or middle? Left as you're looking at the bed. Left as you're looking at the bed. Do you like it to be cool or do you like it to be cozy? I'd say on the cool side. Got it. Are you... A Falling asleep with TV or no TV? No TV. You like a firm mattress or a soft mattress? Firm. How many times do you hit the snooze? Never. If I hit snooze, I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> I have to give up. I'll do it all. <laughs> I love it. Starting sleep position. Are you a back sleeper, side sleeper, or stomach sleeper? Side. How many pillows do you use? One, two, three, four? One soft feather pillow. And last question, are you are you a bedtime snacker? Do you have a snack before you go to sleep? No, I generally you don't follow the uh, the accepted methodology and I eat dinner pretty late, so I'm not hungry when I go to bed. Well, this has been absolutely positively amazing. I have enjoyed this tremendously and I'm sure our listeners have as well. If people want to learn more about you, your exploits, maybe when you're speaking next, where can they go to find out more information about you? I have a website. It's mlaspace.com. That's the letters M-L-A and the word space.com. Fantastic. So I highly encourage you all to go check out mlaspace.com. It's amazing. He's got all kinds of incredible pictures and all kinds of information. You'll, You'll definitely dig it quite a bit. So thank you again, Captain. This was a really amazing interview. Uh, I appreciate your time and we all appreciate your service. So thank you once again. It was a pleasure, Michael. I really enjoyed your conversation. Wow. I was just taking some incredible notes on an amazing interview. There's so many things that I learned, so many great takeaways here. First of all, I didn't realize that the space station goes around the Earth 16 times in a 24-hour cycle, moving at 17,500 miles an hour. That's pretty crazy if you ask me. Um, It was also interesting to learn that they have a very sophisticated lighting system that can help with their 24-hour sleep cycle. I thought it was pretty cool that they all sleep in sleeping bags and they sometimes tie them to the fuselage. I thought it was pretty bizarre that they actually Velcro pillows to their head. Um, Also, interesting that most people don't have a real problem falling asleep in space um, and that their dreams, they definitely still dream in zero G. I thought that was pretty amazing. Prior to launch, um, I think it made sense that he could have a sleepless night or two. Um, And so um, I understood that he had a very interesting sort of pathway for him to get to sleep. Uh, Sometimes that might involve using uh, sleeping pills, sometimes not. But I think the most important thing that I learned from the captain that we could all learn from the captain was when he talked about the overview effect. Um, So I looked it up on uh, Wikipedia. And so believe it or not, there's a whole host 
of really interesting things going on with this idea behind the overview effect. Um, so this is a cognitive shift in awareness reported by some astronauts during spaceflight. I'm taking this directly from Wikipedia, but what was so fascinating is there's apparently something called space buzz, and this can actually give children this overview effect. And so what Captain Alegria said that I thought was so absolutely fascinating was he said, and I'm gonna quote him, when people feel closer to the planet, local things are silly. Arguments, conflicts, etc., just slip away. Everyone can get along. I thought that was probably the most poignant thing I've heard in quite a while. Thanks, Captain. So now's the time where I go to the mailbag and I'm answering questions from everybody out there. And let me tell you something. We've got some pretty interesting ones today. Uh, Sandy from Miami asks, Dr. Bruce, what can I do to help remove the brain fog I have every single morning? <laughs> you know, I got to tell you something. This was certainly something I struggled with too, Sandy. Um, but there's three things that I do that help with brain fog right away. Number one is I wake up at almost exactly the same time every single morning. This actually allows my internal circadian rhythm to know that it's morning time and start preparing me to wake up and slow down on a little bit of that brain fog. By the way, that brain fog is more than likely excess melatonin that's continuing to be produced because you're not waking up on a regular basis uh, or rather at a regular time. The next thing I do is when I sit up in the morning, I take four to five deep breaths before I stand. Then I grab a uh, some water. I usually drink somewhere between 16 and 20 ounces of water while walking outside and getting 15 minutes of sunlight. So listen to the three things that I do for brain fog. Number one, I wake up at the same time every day, including the weekends, because we know this helps lower melatonin production while awake. Number two is I breathe uh, when I wake up in the morning and drink 16 to 20 ounces of water. And number three is I go outside within 15 minutes of waking up and get direct sunlight. This absolutely helps with brain fog. The next question was from Sonia from Sweden. Wow, that's awesome. She writes, what is the right dose of melatonin? I've seen it in three milligrams, five milligrams, and even 10 milligrams. Sonia, I gotta tell you something, you hit the nail on the head with this one. There's some very interesting things that have happened with melatonin production. In fact, about two years ago, there was a study done that showed that when they pulled melatonin off the shelves, in most cases, it wasn't even the right dosage in the capsule. So. Taking a look backwards, if you look at data out of MIT, we see that in order to have um, melatonin affect your circadian rhythm, you only need somewhere between a half and one and a half milligrams. Let me repeat that. In order to affect your circadian rhythm, which is what melatonin does, you only need somewhere between a half and one and a half milligrams. So remember, most people are selling it in an overdosage format. This can cause nightmares and many different side effects. So again, keep it low and slow if you're gonna be using melatonin. Our final question is Joe from Arkansas, and he asks, Dr. Bruce, why do we dream? You know, uh, I got to tell you something, Joe, if I could answer this question, boy, oh boy, I would have a line outside my door. You know, we don't really know 100% why we dream. The good news is, is everybody does dream, even if you don't remember it. Um, I can teach people how to remember your dreams, but be careful because once you kind of learn that skill, it's kind of difficult to turn it off. Um, the biggest present theory, our dream theory, uh, is in fact that we use dreams to process emotions um, in a safe environment. So we can yell at somebody in our dreams and not have it have any consequences and sort of see what happens. Um, I would argue that it's 
also a very large component to moving information from your short-term memory to your long-term memory. This is one of the purposes of REM sleep, which tends to be the sleep where most people dream. Wow, great questions today. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you know anyone you think might have a fascinating sleep story and make for a tremendous guest, please send me an email at drbruce at thesleepdoctor.com. That's D-R-B-R-E-U-S at thesleepdoctor.com. If you want more information, feel free to visit my website, thesleepdoctor.com. Sleep Success is a Mant Bros production and executive produced by Michael Mant. I hope you learned something new to help you live better. Until next time, sweet dreams.